Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. So uh, welcome over to, to the podcast. Uh, it's very nice to have you here. Um, if you wouldn't mind just giving a quick introduction. Sure. Hi, I'm Erwin Lazar, uh, Vice President and Service Director with a company called Numertius Research. Um, the company is based in Chicago, Illinois, in the U.S. We're about 18 years old. Um, we spend our time gathering data from end user organizations and trying to understand why, why are they spending the money they spend, what technologies are they investing, and what business value are they realizing out of that. Uh, I've been an analyst now for about 14 years. Um, prior to that, my background was in network engineering, and I've uh, started covering the transition from uh, digital voice to voice over IP, and now the broader transition into unified communications and team collaboration, video meetings, and, and so on. Great, great. And can you tell me, based on your research and your opinion, what the digital workspace means to you? Yeah, uh, so we, we, we call the research area that I live in digital workplace or digital workspace, depending on, on what term you prefer. And we, we kind of see two primary components. One is the real-time communication collaboration piece. So that's things like voice, video, uh, team collaboration, team messaging applications, along with the, the hardware and, and support and security and all the, the things you need to make those, those platforms work. And then the second part is kind of the non-real-time collaboration application. So things like email and social platforms and uh, uh, white, whiteboarding and uh, um, portals and, and uh, tools that allow people to find information that are essentially uh, internet or internet alternatives. So we kind of try and cross both of those spaces within digital workplace and digital workspace. That's great. And how have you found this has changed with, with COVID-19? I mean, that's the magic question. Wow. Uh, it, it has uh, been a sea change. Um, so the, the two biggest, obviously the big trend is everyone that can work from home largely is working from home now. Uh, so we have seen, uh, we just published some data showing about 90% of companies now are using video, which is unheard of, you know, pre-COVID. Um, we're seeing a large jump in the use of team collaboration applications. We're seeing companies start to invest, essentially speeding up a lot of plans they had um, migrating in the cloud, looking at social platforms and, you know, trying to solve two problems. The first is how do I get people up and running and productive right away? And then how do I get them engaged? Um, a lot of what I'm starting to think about from a research perspective and working with our clients is, you know, how do you manage remote workers? How do you make sure that their contributions are seen and they feel like they're still part of a team and they can build relationships? And that's really difficult for a lot of people when they're suddenly no longer, you know, seeing their coworkers participating in active discussions and so on. Yeah, I think we are a tribal species we, we like to be a part of clicks and, and feel feel a part of something where even even though you do maybe a daily call i don't think you get the same feedback of, of a video yeah definitely um we're seeing a lot of uh, one of the data points we had was about 60 percent of companies are using video for non-meetings so we're doing uh talked to a company the other day that did a wine tasting you know they had a they brought in a sommelier and they sent out a car a, a, an email to everyone and said here are the wines you need to buy and here's the food you should have for uh, cleansing the palate between uh different glasses and so on um i've seen companies implement you know uh training 
courses, uh, health and fitness classes, morning yoga, mm-hmm. uh, all different ways that, that, that can, again, get people who are working from home not to feel that, you know, I'm here by myself and I'm just sitting in an office uh, for 10 hours a day staring at a screen. Yeah, and that's because that's the problem is, is that you, you basically sit in this um, cubicle, if you're lucky enough to have one at home, uh, with your dining room table that's just shared space with everybody else, uh, and you don't feel like you ever leave home unless you, you know, physically get out, but then it's still, you don't have that, that line between I'm going to work today, we're going to work for eight, nine, 10 hours, and then I'm coming home. It's all there at the same, in the same place. Yeah. Home is, is your workplace now. And, or you work in a virtual office with a background, like, like I have here and you do, I think. Um, yeah. And you know, the other point that I found kind of interesting in, in reading some um, research by a sociologist is that there's a big difference in how uh, different generations and different people react to working from home. So older people that are more established that have um, lots of things outside of work, they love it. You know, I, I don't have to be in a car for two hours a day. I can go do things with my kids or, or family, younger folks who are newer to the workforce who are really, you know, they really want to get going and, and make a name for themselves are struggling because, you know, again, they don't feel like their work is being noticed. They're not able to build those bonds and mentor relationships and so on that uh, they were hoping, you know, to be able to, to do as they start their careers. And I think there's an industry thing to that as well. Certain industries, it's very expected to be behind your desk, you know, as, as much as possible to be shown to be working. Um, I'm thinking more like the trainer mentality. Also probably because the hardware they have in the office is, is optimized. I mean, you've got, you know, low latency lines and, and, you know, 10 screens, you can see what's, what's going on in the markets and all that kind of stuff. Whereas the average knowledge worker, you know, needs a laptop and maybe a second screen um, yeah. and a decent chair and, and desk. Yeah, we, we've seen um, in our research a, a transition in how organizations are thinking about the home worker that, you know, April, March, April, May was the panic time. Um, get everybody home, get them up and running, you know, deal with getting them the right applications. And now you're starting to see more of an effort around uh, what do they need? You know, how do I optimize that experience? Do I give them a better camera? Do I give them a better headset? Do I send a second monitor? Um, uh, how do I manage the, their environment? So I have visibility into it because from an IT perspective, you know, you never really worried about homeworkers. It was always best effort. Um, that really can't work today when everyone or at least a large percentage of the workforce is, is now at home. Yeah, and only I remember sitting in a meeting with a whole bunch of, of heads of departments and that, where they were buying laptops literally from anywhere they could find them. Um, yeah. You know, nearest computer shop, whatever you got, okay, we'll take them. You know, who cares what the spec is as long as we can give our guys something to work with, which, which is a really scary, you know, lack of planning or lack of forward thinking, if you like. Yeah. So a lot of companies are in cost cutting mode and they were implementing thin client type approaches where they put a very, you know, low level piece of hardware at everybody's desk and a monitor. And, you know, those devices cost a couple hundred bucks. They're easy to manage. All they're running is, you know, say Citrix, um, thin client software or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and it worked great, you know, people in the office, but uh, not so well. And suddenly they had to go home. I, I talked to one company who, you know, they, they put in an order for 17,000 laptops because their entire workforce is now at home and uh, they didn't, you know, they, they didn't um, have laptops in the office. Do you think that means there's going to be a great focus on VDI technology? I mean, obviously Microsoft has the, the WVD platform, uh, Amazon has their compete. Or do you think people go back to having laptops as well? 
Um, I think it'll be a hybrid. Uh, you know, I think you'll you'll see. You know, the approach a lot of folks were using was putting VDI onto those laptops, so you can continue to maintain the existing environment. The challenge often with VDI is supporting real-time applications like voice and video. Um, you have to locally process that. You can't you know, send raw voice over the over a, a VDI connection. Um, and you know, most of the VDI applications now are, are designed to to support local voice and video. But we are seeing that uh, organizations are looking at it and going. You know, does it really make sense for, um, say, we're you know, if we're using an app like Zoom or Microsoft Teams or something like that, do I really want to back all that traffic uh, via VDI, um, or do I want to uh, spin it off at the local, at the, at the person's local internet connection? Yeah. So you're starting to see a lot of interest in um, using like security, cloud security brokers and split tunneling approaches that allow you to send traffic. You know, corporate app traffic maybe goes back over the VDI, um, but video conferencing and things like that might live outside or in just on a browser, local browser. Yeah, and, and I suppose that, that opens a whole lot of security concerns. You know, do you trust the platform? And obviously Zoom's had stuff in the news about, about some of their, their concerning elements, but um, there's complexity with split tunneling because, you know, there's, there's got to have a level of intelligence and, and also reliance on the, on the residential network. Um, how, how good is that connection? Yeah, I, I've talked to companies that are putting agents out remotely, um, some that are putting routers in people's homes. Um, you know, a lot of the other problem they're also trying to solve is making sure that that home connection works. And uh, if um, you've got a spouse who's also working from home, who's also on video, and you've got kids that are using Xbox or doing distance learning or so on, you, know, you run into significant contention issues potentially in the home, as well as, you know, a lot of uh, most people don't know, you know, how to optimize Wi-Fi in the home. So they've got dead spots and um, they've got, you know, two, 2.4 and five gig Hertz networks. And they really don't even know what the difference is between them. And, you know, they, they haven't adequately placed uh, routers. So we're seeing um, among organizations that have, have had the, the highest success and how we measure success, they tend to take a much more proactive approach toward helping their workers optimize the, the home networking experience. Yeah. I remember having a conversation probably two years ago where we were, because one of my sort of involvements was, was in moving users from, from physical to VDI and then using the data we can collect using an agent to manage the experience and using automation based on that data to try and fix things. So, you know, mm -hmm. things like performance and you know, performance things like killing an application using too much resource, uh, restarting the machine regularly, uh, notifying the user of outages. And we actually discussed how, where's that line to how far automations could go. So if we now started to touch the BYOD device, you know, installing agents on the desktop or giving them the application they can run on their desktop, you know, can we do that? And I think what, yeah. the conversation now has changed to, well, we have to do that. There's no, could we, or should we? It's, oh yeah. Do that. Yeah. Uh, again, that's, that was the approach. Like I said, it was panic, you know, get everybody home, get them up and running, grab whatever device you have at the house. Uh, you know, again, for organizations where they weren't already providing laptops to, to workers, uh, especially true for, you know, remote contact center agents and so on. So when you do your research, who do you speak to? Do you speak to vendors only or do you speak to customers, other people? Yeah. Um, so we work with a mix of vendors and enterprises. Our research is solely um, based on, on buyer side. So we go out to the users of technology or even business leaders, depending on what it is we're, we're, we're um, studying. But most of the research I do, I'm talking to people who have direct buying responsibility, or operational responsibility or involvement uh, in communication, co collaboration, digital workplace applications. Okay. And then what's the general trend now, do you think? I mean, it's, it's kind of the obvious, we all have to deal with this right now. 
But now we're in some countries going back to, I want to back to normal, but they're starting to relax lockdowns. And do, do, do you think the future of work has now changed completely? Yeah. So I think companies that we're talking to are starting to wrestle with, do I bring people back? And if so, in, in what fashion? Um, the consensus majority opinion is we're not going back to the way things were before. Um, no one, we're not just saying, you know what, work from home. That was fun while it lasted. Everybody comes back. They've discovered it works. They've discovered, you know, the new digital workspace is the home in, in many cases. And, and again, a, a large segment of the population are more effective, more efficient, and prefer to, to work from home. So uh, I think at least in the short term, it becomes now, okay, what do we do when for those who do want to come back or those who feel like they need to come back on a partial basis? So the conversations we're having with our clients now are looking at things like, how do I uh, control density in the workplace? Do I go to a WeWork type approach where you have to register, you know, have to put in a request to, to come into the office or pay, or sign out a slot? You know, I, I only allow 50 people to come in on a, on a given day. Um, once they're in the office, how do we make sure they stay spaced out? What does that mean for conference rooms? You know, do I really need conference rooms anymore? Do I tear those out and put in, you know, one or two, three person um, type uh, workspaces? Uh, how do I deal with the pri the thorny privacy issues of what if I've had somebody in the office and they test positive? Do, you know, ideally, I would have loved to have known who they came into contact with so I can notify uh, individuals or, or do that again in a, in a way that ensures privacy and meets you know, here in the U.S. We have something called HIPAA uh, that you know, very much limits what you can share about somebody's medical condition. Yeah. Um, so those are a lot of the, the thorny issues. I'm starting to see some vendors attacking the space. Um, Cisco is an example, uh, introduced a, a, a tool that allows you to schedule cleaning times for your video conference systems. Uh, a lot of interest in touchless, uh, antimicrobial coated, uh, devices. Uh, and then I was uh, talking recently to another app, uh, vendor who is developing, a, essentially a mobile checklist. So before you come in the office, you have to open up the mobile app and answer a bunch of health questions. And, you know, if, if the, if the AI uh, engine says, you know what, you probably shouldn't be coming in the office today. Uh, they would then, you know, tell you to go home and maybe get a COVID test. Yeah. I've seen some other ones, which, um, which allow you to sort of navigate the office as well. So when you come into the office, you can book your desk and then it gives you a route to take to your desk. And then obviously it's catered for, you know, gaps and, and you know, you can have a desk here, a gap, and then another desk, yeah. which would be three desks. Um, and then also looking at a sort of, you know, increasing the intelligence of the building. So, you know, you know, the air purity at that point in time, uh, temperature of the building, how many people will be in the building, um, where people are traveling from. So you've, you've got an idea on hotspots, people got traveling hotspots coming in. Um, but then also the logistics of if I'm going to be in the office, and I want to meet Joe. Is Joe going to be in the office as well? Mm -hmm. Maybe I just won't come in that day and wait for. And Joe's coming next Tuesday, so I'll wait till next Tuesday. Um, those sorts of things. Yeah, and uh, you know, even thinking about um, mentioned video. You know, where our working assumption now going forward is people aren't going to go back to the conference room. So if I do have say, you know, 30% of my workforce that's come back into the office and they are having meetings, they're still sitting at their desk and they're using desktop video and they're, they're putting additional demands on the network for, for bandwidth and performance to support that. So I may need to start to rethink about um, rethink how I, I define or how I build my network. So um, we're seeing the companies are, are re looking at their Wi-Fi strategies to make sure they have co uh, adequate coverage and they don't oversaturate their wireless points 
um, looking at potential upgrades of, of WAN bandwidth or taking advantage of technologies that, that optimize that WAN connection and, and certainly adding internet uh, access for the access to the cloud providers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the great unknown. Um, you know, I, I think obviously different parts of the world are moving at different paces here in the U.S. We've kind of gone back to square one, um, but we're, we're, you know, I think you in Europe are, are, are moving forward a little a little more quickly. So um, our next round of research we're launching in about a month is uh, going to look quite a bit at where, where people's heads are at right now in terms of um, what that future office looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts or inklings to what the future office looks like? Yeah, again, I, I think it'll be a hybrid. I think you're going to see a segment of the population that wants to go back. Um, I think from a spacing standpoint, people are going to be more spaced out. Um, I think we finally have probably killed the uh, open office concept of, of jamming, you know, <laughs> uh, 200 people into a space designed for 50. Yeah. Um, and again, I think people are going to, you know, shun getting into a meeting room and sitting face to face for hour long, two hour long meetings. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always hated the open plan office. I, I think it was one of the worst decisions ever made. I don't know if you read a book uh, called Peopleware. Um, no, I'm not familiar with that. It's worth a read. It's, I'd be lying if it was, if it was um, published in the seventies or eighties, but it, it talks about all these things that we're going to go through now around, you know, productive people and, and giving them their space, especially if you're, if you're a knowledge worker, you need time to, to think and to develop content and to work on things. The open plan office kills all that because of the noise and the disruption. And, you know, you, you need, you can have an office of three or four people. Um, I think six was like the, the, the sort of max. But that, and also if you've got development teams working together, then that's a good cohesive unit that needs to work together. And it gives you the benefit of everyone's working on something so it can be quiet. But also if you need to talk about stuff, it's the people that need to talk about that stuff are all together in their collective. And you can move them around if you need to. This, I haven't read the book in years, but it's it's worth reading if you're interested in that kind of stuff. Excellent. My my bet, the, my favorite stat that I heard is not one of ours, and I apologize, I can't remember where it came from, but there was a, a, an organization, it might have been published in Harvard Business Review, that studied interaction uh, between people in open offices. And they found that messaging traffic went way up when you were in an open office because you were looking around and everybody had their headsets on and everybody had their head in their computer and you didn't want to bother him. So you didn't go, you know, can I tap you on the shoulder for a second where if they're sitting in cubes or they're sitting in offices, you can kind of, you know, peek in, see if, if, if they can, uh, if they can. So yeah, with 30, 40% increases in messaging traffic for people working in open offices, which is completely counterintuitive to what you'd expect. I, I never forget my, I worked with a, friend, a guy, a good friend of mine now, and uh, we used to run next to each other. So he'd, he'd be here and I'd be here. And um, we used to email each other to go for lunch. You want to go for lunch? Yeah, I go for lunch. We'd get up and leave. And we used to joke about how ridiculous this was, but you don't understand anyone around you. Um, and I think this was just before the days of, um, of Link. Right. Skype. Um, and then obviously when Link came up, then we started using that to do it. But it was that ridiculous thing of just not wanting to disturb anybody. And those in the offices, but when you moved into an office, a few people, then it was, hey, we're going to go for lunch. Yeah, let's go for lunch. And the communication was just, say, just right, but it was a bit more better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, you know, texting your kids when they're sitting on the couch across from you. Yeah. I've done that. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, so, so, I mean, what are the things that you're seeing now? I mean, obviously, a big thing people talk about is fatigue. Um, mm -hmm. Fatigue, and I think the, the most used quote now is, of 2020 is, you're on mute. Um, but, but I mean, what are you guys seeing from, from the people you're talking to? What are they looking for beyond the sort of obvious things, if there is anything? 
Yeah. Uh, so obviously, like I, I mentioned earlier, you know, we've seen tremendous uptake in video, uh, more than um, uh, 91% of companies now they're using it. We found uh, almost 30% of companies that say the video is, is used for every meeting. Um, we found a, a similar percentage that said that they view video as a critical application, meaning that they have to have it up and running. Um, they have to ensure that it has high quality um, performance as well as availability. And again, this is just a sea change from, you know, where the networking mindset was at years ago, where you just really hope nobody ever turned video on. So I think, you know, video has, has, has replaced uh, in effect, maybe not replaced, but I don't know how we ever would have survived this pandemic with work from home without, you know, apps like zoom and teams and WebEx and, and, and others. Um, if we were still in an email and audio conferencing world, the, the productivity levels would, would have fallen off. Um, again, I think what people are looking at now is, is what other tools can I bring into that digital workspace to allow people to collaborate more effectively. So the missing piece right now is ideation. You know, you, you, you can get a bunch of people on a meeting. It's really designed for conversation and maybe sharing a PowerPoint, something like that, but it's not really useful for folks that have to sit around and work on developing something together. So I'm um, seeing a lot of interest in digital um, uh, virtual whiteboard applications like uh, Miro, Mural, Bluescape, and a dozen or more others that are out there. So that's a space we're starting to watch a little more closely. Uh, and then, you know, kind of more that uh, HR, I guess, aspect of, of work from home and making sure that, you know, you, you can track productivity and, and manage people and make sure that they feel like they are um, on a solid career trajectory. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the ideation because that's something we definitely feel. Um, and, and, what, and, and we were very much a culture of being in the office as much as possible. I wouldn't say actually five days a week for brainstorming, you know, with a whiteboard and the rest of it. Uh, and we're feeling that now where we, we're doing our calls on this stuff, but we're just not getting the, the, getting over that hump sometimes, which is taking maybe 50% longer or, or even hundred percent longer. Um, you mentioned sort of the, the most common apps. What are the thoughts or are you seeing anything around AR or VR or anything like that that could, that could help this process? Um, we're seeing interest in AI. So using things like AI to improve the meeting experience, both, you know, um, as an example, uh, Google came out with some filters that will automatically improve the experience. Polly's had some capabilities that uh, are better for centering and then doing lighting and so on. Um, developing transcription, developing highlights. Uh, Blue Jeans has a really cool thing called uh, uh, note taking within a meeting. You can, you know, click on something and say, Hey, I really want to protect this for or preserve this, make some comments and come back to it later on. Um, exporting information out of the meetings like transcripts and action items and so on. So I think that that area is really exciting. Um, we we asked about AI. We asked about virtual reality. We found roughly about 3% of, of our 528 global participants had interests or were using applications, um, typically things like Oculus or, or Microsoft Halo, um, either for proof of concepts, for training, um, for remote tours, for I talked to one uh, company in the real estate business, um, I've talked to companies that are, are uh, Boeing has a, has a, 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 high pro, a project they've been working on at Microsoft that they publicly talk about to use um, Halo for training uh, airplane or engine mechanics or uh, airplane engine mechanics. Um, so you're starting to see some use cases, but a lot of it is still we're not really entirely sure what we're going to do with this. Um, there've also been efforts over the years once second life got uh, hot, I guess about eight years ago or so to say, you know what, maybe we should make a, a, a virtual reality meeting space where people can have an avatar and go in. Um, mm -hmm. Those have kind of fizzled. Avaya had one that, that really didn't succeed. 
Um, I've talked to some companies that are doing some things with Oculus. Uh, you know, it's it's a challenge, I think, for people to sit and it's hard enough to stare at a, a screen all day. But now wearing virtual reality goggles and, and you know, not really sure where you are, if you had the chance to use it, those those platforms, when you take those goggles off, it's really disorienting for a couple of minutes. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd say there will be some specialty use cases, um, but probably not, you know, something that will be a common way that people meet and communicate. Yeah, I have seen some examples uh, specifically around training um, with, you know, sort of a briefcase with its own um, mobile uh, computer. And then you've got maybe, you know, eight or 10 headsets and then you can use it, you know, they're going to go through their training. Let's say it's a fire safety briefing or whatever it is. And they can use the, um, in, in that room, they can use the units and do it. And those have now been not necessarily completely uh, made flexible to, to be operated in the, in on the individual side, but the theory is that you could actually distribute each headset to the people that need to get, need to use it, um, and connect over a decent, uh, they say they can get over Wi-Fi, but I don't think you need a connection to do the thing at home, um, as much as you could have done it in a, in a training room. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's definitely, I've seen one or two examples of that, but not, not many. Yeah. And I, I've seen some, uh, you know, let me see what you see type scenario. So if I'm inspecting a, a oil pipeline or a manufacturing plant or something like that, and I'm wearing a, a say a halo or a Google glass was, was a use case for this. Somebody sitting back in a control room can, can see what it is that I'm seeing and direct me to, you know, Hey, don't cut that wire, cut this one or something like that. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, there's a great news case there with, with AR at least where, you're looking at a, at a component and there's some level of recognition to what you're looking at and the checklist that, come, that you need or the instruction manual that you need goes to that section and says, okay, for this component, you need to cut blue, green, and red or, or, or disconnect them in that order and then you can work with it. Otherwise, you know, you risk fire or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, you're almost doing some of that thinking that you need to do before you actually get there. Yeah, definitely. So, Cool. Um, what was your, your sort of feeling with, if you look at each country, I mean, you know, you've obviously got first world technology in some countries, you've got third world technology in others. I mean, is there, is there a level of, of third world catching up because of this or almost leapfrogging because they didn't have the legacy infrastructure? Um, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you think about video and, and in order to have decent quality video sessions, you need bandwidth and you, yeah. you need, you know, um, videos, the, the hard technology, it's a lot of bandwidth plus reliable end-to-end uh, performance in terms of latency and jitter. So, you know, I think about some of the scenarios that some of the companies I've talked to here in the U S send people home and they live in rural areas with, um, you know, with, with not very good internet connectivity, uh, and they struggle. Uh, it's certainly, it's been a big issue for sending students home, um, you know, again, and even in developed countries. So I would imagine it's even exacerbated in, in underdeveloped countries when you think about so many companies have moved, uh, R and D type, um, efforts into some of the underdeveloped parts of the world that, that I imagine it's not some I've directly researched, but I would imagine they're struggling a little bit more. Um, and I think that may also decide who comes back to the office. You know, if you're living in a remote part of the, the, of your country and you don't have real solid internet connectivity, um, you know, you're probably more likely to head back to the office when that option arises. Yeah. I mean, in those cases, you probably find those, they also have space limitations, having a, a, a sort of a spot to work in, in the house or yeah. apartment. I mean, I think like Singapore, even the UK, if you live in the city, you don't typically have desk space to, to work, continue, continue every day for eight, 12 hours. Maybe for the odd night you're working late, but it's really not. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, again, when you're thinking about contention with if you have kids or spouses working, it's one of the big reasons I think virtual backgrounds have become so popular because so many people are just working in ad hoc spaces in their home and, you know, not in the nice fancy home office. Hmm, definitely. Um, uh, did you see anything in the research around people's working times? If they if they shifted their days to suit or integrated their working? Um, not in our research, but I've, I've read some other studies that have said that the workday has on average lengthened. People are, are working more hours at home. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I've been working from home, I mentioned, I think for about 14 years. And it is hard to turn it off. It's, it's hard to walk away and close the door. Uh, I had a manager I worked for um, who's, uh, when I was at a company called Burton Group, who, you know, he told me that, look, the secret is successful working from home is set up in the basement. And then, you know, whatever quitting time is, 5.30, 6 o'clock, don't go back down there. Um, I have not followed that rule at all. Uh, so I have my home office set up uh, in a spare bedroom. And, you know, the last thing I do before I go to bed is sit back down and check messages and email and respond to things. And, you know, it's really probably the worst uh, activity to do. Um, between that and mobile devices, you know, there's that expectation. I think that people are always connected and always reachable. Um, I have heard that, you know, people have shifted and I've seen this again in our organization, other organizations I've worked with, um, people tend to shift to the hours that work for them, depending on, you know, if they can. Um, so we've got people who they find their most productive from midnight to 2 AM. Uh, and then you won't see them until, you know, noon the next day. Uh, and then I've seen others. And, and one of the beauties of work from home is that, you know, people can be flexible. They can say, you know what, I want to go to the gym at 10 o'clock every morning. So uh, I want to book that into my calendar. Again, it all depends on whether or not you can do that in, in your job or if you have to be, at, uh, you know, at your desk at certain hours. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely find I've, I've done that where um, we typically have a, a call every day at 10 o'clock in the morning, which is our sort of everyone get together, chat, um, what, you, what you're working and what you're doing today, that kind of thing. Um, and typically once that call is done, either before or after I've done all the other things that I want to do, either it's personal stuff or work stuff or whatever it is. And then you sort of have pockets where, um, like my, I've got a young son, so it's time to put him down for his nap. So that typically those two hours in the middle of the day is, is me playing with him until he goes to sleep, then putting him down. Then I'll, I'll work as fast as I can in that, that hour when he's asleep, um, to cat, you know, to catch up, which is almost more productive because I've, I've had the, the break with him to do the work. Um, and then go for a walk later on in the day. And then at nighttime, I'll catch up maybe an hour or two of other stuff that doesn't need anybody else to be around me to do. Yeah. I've done the calls that I needed to do and, and that sort of thing. I just think how incredible the value is of that time of being able to spend with your child and you know, have that opportunity to put them down for a nap and so on. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and this is, when I was in South Africa, it was, a, I wouldn't say it's a common thing, but I, I, the company I worked for was very much like that. You were, um, okay, look, we were more consultative and more sales. So you were either working from home and then going out to see customers, um, or you were in the office for a little bit, but then you're still going out to see customers and doing your, you, you, you know, you could balance your day very, very easily in some, or most days. Um, so when I came here and I worked for a corporate, it was very different where you expect to be in the office sort of, you know, eight to six, whatever it was. And everyone was watching everyone else to see who came in early and who left late. And it, you know, it was a weird, um, social pressure, but then there's some of you who generate a bit more valuable work or anything. It's just, yeah. yeah and, and some of the conversations I've had with folks as they've gone through this transition, that's one of, from a management standpoint, one of the big shifts is that you used to manage by when people were in the office and you assume, you know, Hey, if, if they're at their desk at eight o'clock in the morning, 
they're productive and then they leave at six. And, you know, from a, a new worker standpoint, maybe you wanted to make sure you were the first one in the last one out. Um, now you have to think about how do I measure, manage people when I don't know if they're logged in, you know, presence is not something anyone can rely on. Um, so you, it then becomes more of task-based management, you know? So what we have done in our company is, uh, at the end of the day, you post a, a list of here's what I did today, you know? Um, so here's what my hot uh, things are that I'm working on tomorrow. So again, you know, uh, if I'm managing people or I'm, or my manager can see what I've accomplished during the day, um, that, that approach tends to work a little better. And again, as long as you get your work done, you know, I don't care if you're in the office for two hours, six hours, eight hours, whatever. I just, you know, I want to make sure you're, you're getting done what you need to get done. Yeah. And you're going to have weeks where you're going to do 60 things and you have weeks where you do five things. Um, and, and I mean, the, the size and scale and the complexity of those things will differ. Um, but that's how it almost should be in a sense that you're results driven, not, not time driven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, definitely. So yeah, I can see, I can see, I, I've definitely seen that change in, in my organ and people that I've, I've dealt with previously that were very much, um, clock watchers or, or factory, factory mindset in the sense of working shift. Uh, it, I suppose it's very different for a frontline worker that still has to do yeah. you know, the frontline stuff. Um, yeah. Frontline workers, people who are billable by hours, you know, so consultants, uh, here in, in I, where I live outside of Washington, DC, a lot of the folks are government contractors, so they are paid based on the hours they work. So it's, you know, again, a very different approach. Do you see any of that changing in the future? I mean, was that, is that more, more of a risk of automation out with something else? Yeah, I, I don't think it, it will just because the the amount of structural change that would be required to, to go from a billable hour model to, you know, billable work model, um, I think would be very difficult. Mm. Especially when you're thinking about, you know, if you're using staff augmentation, uh, it's different if, you know, if I bring in some consultants and I say, okay, go out and build me a new application, roll it out. And, you you know, we know we define a project plan of six weeks. That, that's great. But if you're, if I'm bringing you on for support staff and I expect that you're going to be available for eight hours a day, you know, yeah, I want to know the time you're working. Yeah. Actually, you sort of touched on an interesting thing that I'm also sort of alluding to hearing is that people are less worried about where people live to work. So mm-hmm. a lot of roles that have been advertised or even some of the groups I'm on they're discussing, I, I need to hire a project manager. I don't care where they live, but as long as they can work three days a week or five days a week um, within our time zone, it's almost okay. You can almost go a couple of hours each direction, you know, maybe two yeah. hours each way is okay. And that's one of the, you know, we're talking about where, what the next six months looks like uh, in our study that we published about a month ago, it was about 28% of companies told us that they started looking at reducing real estate. Uh, and so, you know, here in the U S one of the big likely trends is people are going to move out of high rent districts. So real estate in places like New York city and San Francisco and others where, where the rents have been exorbitant, you know, do I really need people in those metropolitan areas anymore? Or can I hire them and, you know, have a more can live out in the suburbs? Um, again, that, you know, may require that I provide some kind of common meeting space, like uh, leveraging a WeWork or, or some shared workspace. Uh, for when people do need to go meet in person. I think the, the next six months to a year are going to be really interesting for commercial real estate around the, the developed world, uh, as well as HVAC. You know, I think that those are the two markets that are probably the ones that are going to get, you know, the most attention. I think, you know, HVAC is going to be uh, a big space to watch because of companies trying to figure out how do I make sure that there's sufficient airflows and implement UV light systems to filter air and so on. So um, yeah, those are the two that I think are, are going to be really 
don't know if exciting is the right word, but interesting. So I think, I mean, you see there's, there's been a few companies that have, have committed to permanent work from home protocols now. Well, I think it was, mm-hmm. it was one, I can't remember the other one. Um, not to say that you don't ever come to an office, but, but you can work from home without having to ask permission to work from home. Yeah. Um, and what we've been talking about, is, which I quite like as an idea, is you know, you can, we'll, we'll pay for your, as a company, we'll pay for your Regis card or your WeWork card. And you can work at the nearest one to you or meet people at the nearest one to you that suits you. And Regis is slightly better because you can use the card at anyone as opposed to WeWork, which is only the one you're assigned to. Um, but, but that idea of having satellite offices you can go to where if you need a day to go work or book a meeting room, rather than have this dedicated office that could be an hour and a half commute for you. In fact, for me, an hour and a half commute every day. Um, which isn't ideal when the person I need to meet with also has to commute an hour and a half and the actual, the middle distance between us is only an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's those sorts of flexibilities that are logical and practical, but because of the sort of culture, you've had to go to the office, which, right. which has created, um, pain. Yeah, no, I, I think that's something that, it should be a rapid evolution. I imagine again, as companies are looking to save some money and, and, and revisiting whether or not we need office space and be interesting to see like, you know, if in the hospitality space, if uh, obviously that's been hit pretty hard by the pandemic, you know, maybe they start turning space into co-working uh, offices and so on. So, yeah. So, so one of the, um, the guests I had recently, we talked about that in, in shopping malls, mm-hmm. you got shopping, specifically in South Africa, they got shopping malls where you got some really large retailers, um, which you wouldn't know. Um, where they, they've got large retailers that are basically one of them has gone bankrupt, but they've taken large, um, floor space in the shopping mall. And what, what do they do with that? Because they can't necessarily get another large retailer in to take that at the moment because everyone's under pressure, but turning that into a co-working space, because you've got the space, you've got all the, the electrical points yeah. and all that. You just need a basic. If I'm a Starbucks, I probably would pay to build that space, you know, and it's not if I'm sitting right, you know, over by that, that workspace. But I've definitely seen that here where, where the, some of the smaller coffee shops, uh, and they're, they're still franchises or big names have, have, because they've got extra space, have actually now put up signs saying, um, you know, come in and do your work here, social distance, all that kind of stuff to, to generate that footprint. But also it's, it's a nice place to come work because it beats sitting at home every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, that addresses the, the need we talked about earlier, where there are people who, for whatever reason, just prefer to be in an office. You know, I've, I've seen um, people that still go back to their office, even though there's no one there, just because they like getting away from the distractions. Um, you know, again, it, it just depends on your personality and your home situation. If, if your kids are now toddlers and, and running around and, you know, playing, uh, then, then it maybe becomes a little bit more distracting. I've been fortunate. My kids are older now, but when they were young, they knew when the door is closed, you know, dad's on a call. Uh, do not disturb. Now they just come barging through. <laughs> well, you would have noticed now my wife just came, came barging because my two-year-old has done something and he needs to be cleaned up, um, which I don't mind. I mean, she's because my wife's eight months pregnant. So oh, congratulations. Thank you. But daughter due in, oh, uh, less than two months now, six six weeks, I think. Yeah. Wow. Um, so there's no way I could work in a shared office space for now. But once she's born, I'll have to because my study will become her room. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's life and, and, and I think the new future in a sense that you have to, you have to find what works for you, um, and, and to get your job done. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to some of the things we talked about earlier, it, I would expect one of the follow on technology investment areas for organizations is going to be in social tools, you know, Yammer and Igloo and others that, uh, again, help people find knowledge in their organizations and, and bring that to the forefront. I think you just saw um, a couple of weeks ago that Slack went out and bought a directory company that stores, uh, again, expert, it allows you to find experts in different areas and what projects they've worked on and so on. Um, so, you know, as you're thinking about this model of I'm working from home most of the time or I'm spending a, a handful of time in an office or in a shared workspace, you know, again, how do I inter- interact with people? And that that's to me the, you know, the, the biggest question going forward is, is how do organizations establish some potential competitive advantage by improving uh, the way people can find information within their companies and engage with one another. So, um, you know, enterprise social has been one of those technologies been around forever, you know, going back to Jive and, and Atlassian and, and so many others, and then kind of faded away. And now it seems to be potentially poised for a little bit of a comeback. Well, you mentioned portals earlier, and I think that's one of the things is, is having a place to go to find everything mm-hmm. and not necessarily finding everything across the, the enterprise, but, but having a focus portal that tells you all the IT stuff and a focus portal that tells you all the HR stuff. And, and what they tend to do is have them all part of one big portal, which creates this minutiae that you have to navigate. Um, but you do have to have something that, that's, and it's got to be simple. I think that's the problem is all these yeah. things become convoluted. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, you want to avoid redundancy. So um, I've, I've talked to companies like IBM that has a really interesting digital workplace or workspace uh, product uh, and, you know, and those vendors, and I mentioned a company called Igloo and they're trying to figure out, you know, we want to not replace say a Microsoft teams in the large company, but we want to integrate that in too. So it becomes almost like a Facebook and Facebook is a really good example of, of workplace uh, bringing more of a socialish almost said socialistic, very different, uh, so social, uh, type, um, environment for that people can work in very much like consumer Facebook. So you're bringing to the front information people need to know versus ads. Um, you're, you're, you're integrating with the real time collaboration capabilities, video messaging, even calling. Um, and that may, I think those kind of, of applications are, are probably poised for some pretty significant growth again, as a means of overcoming isolation in the workplace. Yeah, I think isolation is the key. I think if we can solve that problem, and, and you mentioned this as well in the sense that because you work from home, you can do certain things that you couldn't do if you were commuting. So like in South Africa, you play sport every weekend, uh, during the weekend and, and the weekends because you, you, your commute wasn't that bad. Um, and, and typically the sports were around where you worked, where you lived, and it was all kind of in the same thing. I found that very different in the UK where you're commuting an hour and a half each way so you don't have that time and you can't necessarily, you're so far away from your, your two locations that you can't commit to, to sport in one location or the other. Um, or it becomes quite a difficult thing to arrange, but being knowing that you can be home sort of three days a week, you can say, well, I'm home three days a week. I'll just make sure the days that there's practices, I can go, I'll be at home and the days that it aren't practices, I'll be in the office. And you've got that flexibility. Um, yeah, definitely. I do need to run just to see what's happened downstairs. Is there any final <laughs> thoughts that you want to share? Um, no, again, I think, you know, we're just kind of in a state of flux. Um, all the plan, all the best laid plans are going to, um, default to what the virus decides it wants to do. Uh, you know, and a lot of the plans that, that people were talking about even a month or two ago are, are changing rapidly. So, uh, you know, I think companies just need to make sure they're, they're being agile, flexible. Um, we're seeing it here in the United States where a lot of schools that are planning on going back in the fall are now 
you know, canceling that because of, of the outbreak of the growth in the virus. Um, I've seen some other countries. So that, uh, you know, I think preaching flexibility and patience is, is probably a good thing at this point. Super. And where can people find you if they want to look, look you up? Uh, best way to get me is on Twitter at I M L A Z A R. Great stuff. And LinkedIn, I assume as well. Yeah. LinkedIn, Erwin Lazar. Great stuff. Well, good, good to chat with you and thanks for your time. Thank you as well. And uh, congratulations on the new arrival. Thank you very much. Keep well. Okay. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.